Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon, or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. We kind of had some exciting developments in the last week or so. The podcast has gone international. I use a program called Blueberry to track where downloads are happening. And we've actually had downloads from Germany, Sweden, South Korea, and New Zealand. So to our international listeners, thank you very much. I'd really love to hear from you, so uh, if you do want to drop us a line, you can do that at everything at 42cast.com or find us on our Facebook page or Twitter because uh, I'd definitely like to know first how you found out about the podcast and uh, what you think about it, so uh, that's kind of exciting. Uh, In other news, I've been binging the Iron Fist series on Netflix just finished up legion on fx and we'll definitely be talking about both of those shows at some point in the next few months but right now if you remember the contest that we had from last week we had several podcasts that we had already recorded and uh there was no particular order that they needed to go in so we asked you what you wanted to hear and this podcast coming up is the one that well actually it tied uh so uh even though this one did win Next week, we'll be playing the other winner from that contest, and we're actually going to have, it's not as much of a contest, but uh, we do definitely want some specific feedback that we're going to talk about at the end of this episode, which we're hoping again that you'll come on the Facebook page and, you know, contribute a little bit to the show, so... Right now, uh, we're going to go into our episode, which is Apocalyptic Teenage Dreams, and we're going to enter it where it's already in progress. But uh, now, on to our cast for this week. We've got a couple of returning people, uh, but also, I am going to introduce someone who is very important to me. That is uh, my wife of 10 years. She is the mother of my children. She makes my cosplay stuff. (laughs) And that is Beth. Hey, Beth, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing well. (laughs) How about you, internet land? (laughs) Wow, does that sound forced with the two of us, like, just going back and forth like that. So, So, Beth, why don't you tell everyone about yourself? Uh, well, like you mentioned, I am a cosplayer. Uh, I've 
grew up not geeky at all, but then I met you, and you've uh, reformatted me to a better uh, way of life, I suppose. <laughs> uh, it started with anime, Star Trek, and... Uh, just, well, I already saw Star Wars, but just just various other geeky things that you, you threw at me, and I was like, oh, this is awesome! Why haven't I already lived this way? Uh, X-Men. Yes. Marvel stuff, yeah. Well, I did watch the X-Men cartoon when I was younger, but I, 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 it wasn't... Um, chronological so I kept getting like the same cliffhanger over and over and well I you hadn't seen up. the movies though if I recall correctly I showed you a lot no, of no but movies. I wanted to because I, yeah. I, it was the animated series that really got me into X-Men to begin with right but uh, and what do you do nowadays Beth primarily I have a sweatshop in my basement where I sew <laughs> <laughs> I have a shop on Etsy called Mrs. Whiskers Studios and uh, I make cosplays, and I make children's items, and I also recently traded up my VIP discount at Joann's for a uh, employee discount. So uh, I work there now, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of fun. Okay. Nice. Why Mrs. Whiskers Studios? Okay, so when I was growing up, one of my favorite Disney movies was Cinderella, and it was because I really liked the, the scene with the, the mice when they were fixing up her dress. And when I think of a fun little project that makes this quirky and makes little sense. I think of those little mice sewing the dress. And so I I also like very small furry creatures like mice. And I just kind of attached myself to the idea of being like a mouse in a sweatshop like Cinderella. So I went with Mrs. Whiskers. Okay. So Beth, originally though your store was called Fuzzy Lovies. That's right. And so what is a Fuzzy Lovey? A Fuzzy Lovey was my primary construction item when I first started opening uh, Etsy. It's a half blanket, half stuffed animal meant for small children that is it's much larger than what you would find um, of a comparable type of item in a store. Like those are like the size of a washcloth. This thing is larger than a newborn. Mm. So I, I, I thought that was just um, a very unique item to, to, to mass produce. Well not really mass produce. I thought it was a nice product to make for for children that was very unique. And um, from there, I just expanded and started doing costumes. And then I realized that the name Fuzzy Lovies didn't really work for the costume bit. So I thought I needed to, to, you know, just do a little upgrade on the name and make something that was a little bit more of an umbrella sort of thing. Right. But you still make the Fuzzy Lovies. Yes. And what kind of designs do you have for the Fuzzy Lovies? I have various animal heads. I also do character designs, like from from geeky things like comic books. Um, like I have a Batman, and I have a, a Green Arrow, for example. And um, I also have just you know generic kind of prints that someone not geeky would still appreciate, like 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 floral prints and uh, baby prints and things like that. And they're they're all designed to assist with development of children um, because when they're first born, they only see in grayscale. And so I wanted to have a lot of items with high contrast so that they could better perceive it at a young age. Now, um, do you only do like certain designs or do you take uh, commissions? I definitely do commissions. Um, I recently did a Raven from Teen Titans. I can't remember the last one I did that was a new unique thing, but I recently added a monkey head to the animal line. So now it's monkey, bunny, cat, dog, and bear. But I can definitely expand if someone has a particular idea, and I would try to run with it. Mm-hmm. 
you, you do a Harley Quinn and a turtle, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle yes. one. Those are your two most popular. Yeah, and I also life. have a Joker design, but that thing is crazy because the hair is made of fur, and so it's like it stands off the head, and it's a little more complicated to to make. But yeah, he's there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you do Flash, Wonder Superman, Woman. Wonder Woman, Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are just the ones I can think of off the top of my head. But uh, just so if anyone's got you know young children, um, where you know uh, it's it's like a comfort you know blanket kind of thing, but also with a stuffed animal mixed in, it's you know it's a cute uh, thing, and you can make them in two different lengths. In two, um, you've got yeah. The, I have yeah. the standard length that's about thirty five inches long from from head to the edge of the blanket, and I have longer ones that can go up to about three feet long. It just depends on. The the, if there's a certain design on the blanket that I want to maintain that's a larger print, then I would keep the larger size of the blanket. But the, the standard length is about 35 inches long. All right. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And what is your primary fandom? Sailor Moon. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was shocked you didn't mention Sailor Moon in your intro. Well, that would be delving into a very long story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can just say Sailor Moon is my primary fandom, or that's my, you know, my favorite. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to delve into the details. Okay, we but, can, but, we can at least say that we met because of Sailor Moon. We're a Sailor Moon family, and it's awesome. That's right. <laughs> So, uh, next up uh, is the gentleman you've been hearing uh, offering some commentary. I always think of him as a tall humanoid orca from when we played D&D together, and that is uh, Nathan, who we're going to call Nate this time to avoid confusion. So, how are you doing, Nate? I'm doing great, guys. I'm doing great. I'm just really happy that we uh, we finally got to the to start this podcast. <laughs> I'm not sure that you get to say that because you've only just joined this podcast like a week ago. No, I mean like ago. just this particular show. <laughs> okay. With all the hurdles we had to get through to get here. Right, I'm I really know, happy but... to be a part of it. <laughs> no, and I'm glad because uh, just so that people know, um, this podcast um, we've kind of referred to as the cursed podcast because <laughs> this, this was one of my original topic ideas and it has taken a very long time to get people together and getting people together at the same time so that we can get this done. Mm-hmm. Nate is actually the th- uh, third, fourth, is the fourth person that was going to be the is going to be on this podcast that just dropped out at the last minute. So I mean, and he didn't drop out at the last, but every the other three did. So we had to keep rescheduling and find another person. And so um, I'm glad that we finally <laughs> uh, have you. So, so anything new and exciting happened since the last time uh, we had you on, Nate? Oh, no. Um, I started playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and, like, I was only passingly familiar with Pokemon. Mm-hmm. I never played the video games. Definitely didn't play the, the card game. And just watched the show a little bit, like, back in the 90s. But uh, it's taken over my life. <laughs> as long as you don't walk off cliffs into traffic yeah. or drive while playing it, we're cool. Yeah. Now, I do drive slowly around the neighborhood. <laughs> trying to put my baby to sleep. I'm putting my baby to sleep. Okay. You know, and if and if and if I get the little noise that a Pokemon showed up, I stop the car. Okay. I don't try to catch and drive. Okay. Okay. That's that's good to hear. <laughs> I if 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 anyone <laughs> Pokemon Go has just been the strangest phenomenon for me. I, I'm not playing it, and 
I personally don't see the point from what I'm hearing uh, mm-hmm. about it. I understand it. why you don't see the point. Like, so, so think about it this way. For and mind you, I'm I'm like Nate. I didn't play Pokemon growing up. I didn't have any. Uh, portable systems but like for people who grew up with pokemon they're like literally living the dream they are walking around being a pokemon trainer looking for mm-hmm. pokemon so it's like yeah a lot of people can see it's dumb but i can definitely see the appeal and yes i have been playing it and i think it's kind of fun but i don't have that nostalgia factor working for me but if i did i mean like i'd be going insane <laughs> <laughs> it just it seems like a very basic game I, I i don't know i just don't see why it's taken the world by such storm well, it's very unique in the gameplay now with, with how they have it now where you're actually going out into the world but the problem comes every single day on facebook you log on and someone's done something stupid while trying to catch a pokemon <laughs> walking into traffic walking off cliffs driving while playing pokemon yeah, Why? yeah. The, the, I, I'm I'm strongly reminded of a Star Trek: The Next Generation episode called <laughs> "The Game," <laughs> which is about this game that becomes like so addictive that everyone just has to keep playing it, and that's what it seems like it is. And so there's just like this weird, there's this weird brainwashy thing about Pokemon Go that just kind of like kind of like unnerves me. <laughs> Because <laughs> it just doesn't, and, and again, I, I, I don't know, I just don't, from how it's been described to me, I don't see why it's so fun that everyone just wants to keep playing it constantly, and that's that's all they're devoting their time to. I don't know, but anyway, <laughs> I don't care if people play it. I'm not saying, because I know some people are like, oh, people are saying that you're stupid if you play I don't care. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, the gameplay is very basic, and right now you can't do a lot of things. Like, I feel like I should be able to trade Pokemon with someone else who's mm-hmm. nearby, mm-hmm. you know. But I can't do that right now. I can't battle my Pokemon against. Yeah, I want to battle friends right next to me. I can't battle friends yet. I think those are versions that are coming out. Well, I think the problem too is at least based off of the version number in the app, it's like zero point something. So as far as I know, that means it's in still in beta. It's not like a full release, but they're not advertising it as being still in beta. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> I don't. Don't tell I don't think. I, I'm thinking more things will come. Hopefully. Yeah. Other, definitely. Otherwise, people. I mean, even the most hardcore people will get bored with it eventually if they don't. So. I hope they at least install some kind of safety protocol that says, "Hey, you're approaching a street. How about you stop for a second and look both ways?" Or, "Hey, I see you're playing while you're on a roadway. Are you driving or are you a passenger?" Well, you know, actually, it's funny. I just saw an article that said that Congress was going to start talking about legislation to make Pokemon Go more safe because of the number of accidents that have come. Uh, (laughs) I mean, if you're stupid, you're stupid. Like, warnings aren't going to help you. (laughs) Well, but yeah, at the same time, though, the government legislates against stupidity all the time. You know, there are a lot of laws that are like, they shouldn't have to be there, but they put them there anyway because people if they don't people are just stupid and do dangerous things that kill themselves there's already i mean there's not like push notifications like you're about to approach road be careful Mm -hmm. but like at the beginning it has this big old loading screen that says be aware of your surroundings and blah 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 so and you don't have to walk around staring at your phone right yes (laughs) you can you can hold it down at your side and when it vibrates it vibrates and it makes a noise a particular chime when a Pokemon shows up, and you don't have to rush right to it, it, the Pokemon's not going anywhere. Oh, okay. 
You know what I mean? So you yeah. can, you got so a people minute. really are just being plain stupid. They are just being stupid. I mean, okay. you can't. Well, play and to be fair, those kinds of stories are, of course, going to get like all kinds of play. Like when we think about just how many people are playing this game, like you know, probably ninety eight percent of them are not stupid morons, and then you've just got the two percent that are, you know, very loudly being stupid. And I have heard some good stories too, where like a man who had PTSD uh, is actually getting out of his house because of this game, or someone oh, yeah. who is an insomniac. He went out for a walk with his Pokemon thing, and he met up with some guys on the park bench, and he made two new friends. So that part is 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 pretty cool. I just really wish others were a little bit more responsible about it because they're kind of ruining the reputation of the game. Well, yeah. a couple of people found a killer because of the game, and yeah. some yeah. people rescued some animals that were stuck oh. somewhere, and. My wife got hit on at a park. <laughs> oh, God. Is that, that really a, a good stuff? thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? If the guy thinks he's got more game than me, give he can take a shot. But <laughs> he, did, he does it. He trusts me. He didn't have a, he did, Obviously, he didn't have a this is what the single ladies need to be doing. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. I need to be going out to Pokestops and like waiting for uh, Drop some a nice lore gentleman down. to mm-hmm. come <laughs> make a pass at me. <laughs> a drop a lore down. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh the my best god, oh my god, I've ever heard. I'll pitch a pitch and uh an add-on app <laughs> Pokemon Go dating. <laughs> okay, so Poke- so, you heard so it here Poke-tinder. first. So, so, so men in uh uh Eastern Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> Check, check out those Pokemon lores and you may actually run into Rachel someday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and and so since I've already kind of partially introduced her and she's been talking, <laughs> that voice you've heard comes from all the way in episode number one. If you've been listening that long, uh, she is the sister that I never had, and that is Rachel. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> so, other than playing Pokemon <laughs> Go, anything uh, you know, new and exciting happened since we had you on last? Oh, I started uh, taking Kung Fu lessons. That That is a new thing that happened. Oh, that sounds cool. So, yes, I'm, I'm doing the, uh, the martial arty thing, which I took Taekwondo years ago and really missed it. So, um, some friends of mine go to a Kung Fu school near here. So, I'm just like, hey, why not? So, I can, like, live the dream and one day learn to use a sword and all that fun stuff and live my nerd dreams. Oh, okay. So, any nefarious individuals coming to your lures now know that you can kick butt in case they yes. have questionable motives. Mm-hmm. Good! Okay, so I was never quite sure of the <laughs> definition of Kung Fu. So, so, it doesn't just entail hand-to-hand combat, like the actual martial combat with weapons mm-hmm. also counts as kung fu. So yes, yeah, so so there's the empty hand uh, forms which are just, you know, like what most people think like martial arts and and mm-hmm. whatnot and then there's weapon forms too so most of the time you don't get to use weapons until you're more advanced but yes so uh, it does both um this school in particular is northern shaolin kung fu there's also southern shaolin mm-hmm. um which i don't know much about but that's also a thing <laughs> they're the uh, shaolin monks who, speak, who talk like hi y'all <laughs> how are you doing oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, really- we're southern shaolin <laughs> <laughs> Offending one national group, one podcast at a time. <laughs> oh, it's awful. I know. Um, so, 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 do you actually pick like you know, crane or tiger or panther or all that kind of stuff, or is that just like kind of the movies? 
like those are things that exist like that it's like there are different styles and forms if i do get to pick that that'll be like much later um okay. but i i went to a tournament that my friends were competing in and and that's what really got me hyped i was just like this is so cool everyone is so cool i need to do this <laughs> And, you know, there were there was this one guy who was so weird. And even like I was sitting amongst other like martial artists and even they were kind of perplexed. He was like he was it was in the advanced forms. And so he was some flavor of black belt and very good at what he was doing. But it was really weird because every time he like switched styles, he would announce it and just be like crane tiger <laughs> and i'm just like this is some power rangers crap what is it's going on dragon ball z episode no no i was thinking yeah he's been watching too much anime because you always have to yell out your attack <laughs> it oh, was God. really weird and every and at first i was just like maybe this is just a thing but no everyone around me seemed very confused too so i don't know um, <laughs> So that being said, I there are things that exist. Those are things that exist, but they're not as you know. It's not like oh, I'm in the school and I'm doing tiger style and he's doing crane and blah blah blah. It, it, it's not really like that. Okay. See, my my entire education on kung fu comes from movies that were made in <laughs> Hong Kong. So <laughs> take that, me. I, I I totally accept the fact that I am very ignorant and uh, just uh, you know. <laughs> I was just curious how close it actually comes because a friend of mine is huge into kung fu movies, so uh, uh. I've seen quite a few. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but that is that is awesome. That that is cool, Rachel. The closest I've ever come is is taking fencing. Ah, uh, I do remember you doing fencing. Yes, I uh, I took saber fencing because it was more like actual martial combat than foil or epee, which I, I still kind of feel like are kind of like uh, wussy forms of fencing. <laughs> yes, I'm going to offend more people! <laughs> um... <laughs> But at least you can defend my honor if it comes to it. Right, that's true. But, uh, you know, Saber is more like what you would expect in actual Because Nobody, like, in like mm. combat is going to take out a foil and, like, try to kill somebody. Sure. It's just like... Poke you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to poke you to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a bunch of little tiny pokes, you'll finally bleed out. But anyway... And, and of course, very uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, whole. and of course, people who who fence epee are like, well, you know, you can castrate somebody with an epee, which you know, because that's actually like uh, the whole body is um, fair game in epee, whereas with saber, it's just above the waist. So you know, uh, that's how people who do epee always no say that theirs are. Uh, no, they wear cups. Good for them. Yeah, they wear <laughs> cups because yes, the women will go for the balls. That is, they're taught that from day one. Wear cups. <laughs> so anyway, so now people who have never fenced before know more about fencing than they ever wanted to. So, all right, all right. So now we're going to move along to everyone's favorite part, which is five questions. Okay, I'm new to this. So how does this go? Okay, so five questions is I picked five random questions that can only have two possible answers um and um or i didn't pick it in a random number generator picked it and uh it's just a way for us to kind of laugh about you know uh, our you know our choices about things it's a way for the audience to get to know us a little bit and at the same time help us to just kind of relax so that's the idea of it well i'm scared <laughs> <laughs> and as as Ryan, who's been on the show a couple of times, will say it's also a way for us to judge each other. So you know, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> Challenge accepted. All right, all right. So first up, who wins in a fight? 
Terminator or Robocop? Terminator. Uh, Terminator. Uh, I haven't seen... I haven't seen any of the Terminator movies. So. <laughs> what? <laughs> Show me a movie! Well, we're uh, judging we're you now. Tragic, but I'll just go with Terminator, because he looks like he would be tougher. Yeah, that thing is really hard to kill in comparison to Robocop, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that one. Um... Uh, I, I would also go with Terminator, though, because uh, the Terminator is, uh, com- you know, completely robotic, whereas Robocop is still partially a uh, human being, so I just feel like the Terminator is a more ruthless and stronger machine. Um, he, would, he would target the human heart and brain inside Robocop. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, just and kill could him. possibly go, oh, turn... there's your soft spot, I'll just mm-hmm. kill it. And could possibly one of those liquid ones, which would be like, okay, game over, bye. Okay, yeah, I mean, I was talking about, like, a classic Arnold, Arnold Terminator, not the T... Yeah, T-1000 <laughs> is unfair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loses. I, even the Summer Glau Terminator, I think, would be Robocop. Yep. <laughs> and look fantastic while doing it. <laughs> right, and look fantastic while doing it. But wow, Rachel, not, not not a single, not even any of the new ones. I mean, I I definitely like I I, I want to see Terminator Two. I just haven't done it yet. Um, and the new ones, I sure is, I just have no interest in it at all because they look kind of bad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's fair. I would recommend the first one as well, even though it is older. It's darker. It's terrifying. And and I I, I know a lot of people prefer Terminator 2. I actually prefer the first Terminator just because it's it's just, it's dark and it's scary and it's a really great science fiction story. Yeah, it's more of a sci-fi horror. Yeah. 13-year-old me probably wet our pants. Thing. Yeah. You know, then, then the, 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 the Terminator 2 is like an action movie. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just my two cents on that, but... Yeah, I, I thought that that was a generic question, though, because sometimes when I know who the cast <laughs> is going to be, I, I, when the art, the random number generator comes up with a question, I'm like, no, too many people are not going to know what this is. I'm just going to skip. So, yeah, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that's, that's me throwing a wrench in things since 1983. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Beth. Best classic rock, Beatles or Elvis? Pass. I don't know either one very well. What? Learn <laughs> <laughs> something new every day. No, Ten years turn. married. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I have heard uh, you know little snatches here and there of both, but I'm just like, I don't know enough to have like an established like opinion. I I I know you were in the band for a fact, and I know that in the band there were tons of people who listened to like Beatles and Elvis and stuff like that. You didn't hear anything from any... I wasn't much of a groupie. I had had, like (laughs) three other people I hung out with and we were like the outsiders. No one talked to us. Okay, wow. Okay, um, Nate. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna say uh, Beatles. Okay, Rachel. (laughs) And I I will also go with Beatles. Okay. (laughs) Looks like uh, I have some research to do too. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> I I'm gonna go with Beatles as well. I I not to not to say that there's anything wrong with the King, but uh, you know uh, Beatles just uh, do it for me. See, my parents used to listen to oldies all the time, so like growing up, I like heard like all this stuff, all the '60s. So anyway, well, yeah, yeah, learned something new about someone I've been with for you know over ten years. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but that's why five questions is fun. See, I saw the thing come up on the on the screen, and I saw the the question, and I just immediately face palmed and went, "Oh god, it's my turn." <laughs> okay, all right, all right. So Beth, oh god, you're not gonna know one of these. I think oh, this is bad. Actually, I. I... Okay, okay. I'm gonna say it. So, <laughs> who would you rather have on your side in a fight, Ellen Ripley or Sarah Connor? Ellen Ripley. Mm, I'm gonna go. Uh... Sarah Connor. I mean, this is kind of bad since I haven't seen the Terminator movies, but I know enough about Sarah Connor. Regardless, Ellen Ripley is my favorite badass, and I love her, and of course, I would want her on my side in a fight. <laughs> All right, so awesome. This is the case where I haven't seen Ellen Ripley's movie, but I know enough right. about her to, to say, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, are we talking Ellen Ripley from, like, the first two movies? Or three movies, or the fourth one where she was like a genetic. No, there know, was no. Clone. What, are you, what are you talking about? There wasn't a fourth movie. Yes, there was. There was a movie where she was a clone. And there was that guy in the robot, the, the, the wheelchair. No, no, Nate, you don't understand. There wasn't a fourth movie, okay? <laughs> Speaking of someone who has only seen the first two films, I, I will. I refuse to acknowledge that there are more films after that. <laughs> see, Rachel and I, we see eye to eye on this. <laughs> Although, did you hear that they're actually making um, a... Uh, you know, they're actually going to continue on now from the second one and pretend that the third That's and fourth one's never That's what I've heard, happened. so I'm just like, you know what, okay, I'd be game for that, because, you know, like, all I know of Alien 3 is that it within the first five minutes, it just completely undoes the ending of aliens and i'm like you can kiss my butt i hate you all yeah. so uh if if they pick up off of that then i'd be all for it yeah they're using the guy who did um district uh nine yeah neil blomkamp yeah yeah he's the one who's going to direct uh the new alien movie so yeah i'm kind of looking forward to that because yeah aliens i've loved it um ever since i was little and yeah when i found out that alien 3 like you know there's no nude or hicks or anything i was just like uh no well and i i only saw going along with the theme i i only saw the alien movies last year Oh, okay. <laughs> and so I watched them both with a friend of mine. And so at the end of Aliens, I was just like, oh, that was so cool. I love what, you know, Ripley's the greatest and blah, blah, blah. And then he broke the news to me that it within the first couple of minutes of Alien 3, like, freaking Hicks and Newt were both dead. And I'm just like, I hate everything. <laughs> Screw them. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, it's hilarious. It took you many years to get to the same point I was at, Rachel. But yet, yeah, you and I, same, same. <laughs> but so, who would you choose? Uh, you know, I feel like I need to see the Alien movies again because it's been so many years. I think I would go with Sarah Connor, just because she takes on freaking Terminators, which I think are scarier than Aliens in some way. They don't look scarier. But they're more destructive slash intelligent slash, you know, uh, uh, you know, just difficult to defeat. So well, yeah. I was just also oh, thinking she had she went and sought out all that incubators and, and everything. I think that's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're definitely both worthy uh, companions to have in a fight. Right. When I when I picture the two of them, I, I see that Sarah Connor is like Sarah Connor is very. <laughs> Wow. Sarah called up. <laughs> it's already uh, begun. <laughs> see, Skynet actually struck us at work today. Long story. Sarah Connor, I see, as being very 
imaginative, has a lot of ingenuity mm -hmm. in how she approaches the problems. But with Ellen Ripley, I, when I think of her, I immediately think of her from TV tropes, and she's got that picture of her just there, where she just looks completely awesome and just protecting this little kid with her and just like, come at me, you're going down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I cannot judge anyone who picks anyone in this. I, I, I was more curious to see hear what other people say about it because I thought this was a really difficult question because mm -hmm. of that, that they're both really awesome, you know, powerful women, you know, in fiction. So And Ellen Ripley is basically um, every D&D player I've ever done. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> kind of psycho damage type characters. Yeah, yeah. You've done, you've done a lot of those. Role playing in general, not just D&D. That's been your thing. Like your Narn from the Babylon 5 game was like... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, alright, we're not going to turn this into the Alien and, and Terminator <laughs> podcast. We'll have that another day. <laughs> I mean, it was already the Pokemon Go podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we should talk about badass women in fiction, though. Oh, yeah, that's I think that's a, that's a good topic anyway, but... Alright, so... Beth is looking at me already because she sees the next question. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. We got good questions. You, you should be able to answer this because you know what I would answer, so you can just be solidarity oh, with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Better 80s barbarian, Key Man, or Thundar? Conan. <laughs> That's the only one I know. All right. Beth cheated. All right. Nate? Ah, uh, Thundar. <laughs> Rachel? I don't know who Thondar is. <laughs> okay, so then you're gonna pick. So I'm gonna go with you, man. There you go. That's fine. I, 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 I'm gonna go with Thundar. And Nate, I'm sure you can say the reason why Thundar is infinitely better. What is it? It's post-apocalyptic future where there's magic and uh, laser swords. Yeah, I was about to, yeah he, has, he basically has a lightsaber. It's really has a lightsaber. Magic. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, it's 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 yeah. I think it's a cooler uh, setting as well. Uh, but yeah, Thundar was like one of the best cartoons uh, when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I you get see, it. I was barely sentient in the eighties. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a jailbait thing going on. Oh, stop. Don't use that <laughs> term. Don't use that term. Okay, Cradle Robber? Oh, God. I was 18 when we met. Yeah, she was. There's, a, there's quite yeah, but that's not. Here. Yeah, that's not jailbaits. Jailbait is if you're younger than 18. Yeah, no, yeah, no. <laughs> just barely. We just barely made it. Wrong. Wrong but, like, word. I didn't. I mean, Wrong. I only know Conan because you showed me that recently. And why are you watching. pronouncing it like it's Japanese and you're doing <laughs> like Detective Conan rather than Conan? <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway. I don't know. Which, by the way, if anyone's interested, it has nothing to do with Conan the Barbarian, but Detective Conan is an awesome anime. But anyway. Which, which, <laughs> total aside. Which, which number question are we on? I'm that's the fourth that. one. <laughs> okay. Right, final, final, final round. All right. Best George Lucas series, Indiana Jones or Star Wars? You can't stare at me like that. I know you've seen both of them. I know that, but this is hard. <laughs> How is this hard? It's <laughs> a right answer to this one. <laughs> this isn't like the, the Ripley or Sir Connor one where it's like, oh, I can see either one. Okay, so Indiana Jones has more nostalgia for me because I definitely watched those movies more often when I was a child. Uh -huh. um, but being an adult now and seeing Star Wars more recently, um, I do have a more fondness for Star Wars, but the nostalgia is just pulling me to Indiana Jones, except for number four, it didn't happen. <laughs> 
All right, so you went with the wrong answer. All right, Sorry. Nate. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Rachel. Star Wars. No, I'm just going to leave now. Okay. <laughs> there are no wrong answers. That's right. There are, there, there, there are technically no wrong answers. Just wrong people. <laughs> That's a good one. But anyway, all right. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, Star Wars. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up five questions. This was this was a fun one because I'll, I'll I'll tell you guys we we've kind of recorded these episodes out of order. And in the fifth episode, we had a five questions that was just like, <sighs> it, yeah, we'll hear it when you come to it. But it was kind of like everyone was like, I have no idea what you're talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> this time and we hey, got enough. Still, lets people know. Like, we don't even know anything about that. <laughs> right, that's true. That's true. But it was just me. It was like, I'm sweating bullets. <laughs> this is not good podcasting. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I hope everyone enjoyed that. And I hope those listening have enjoyed it, too. And uh, right now, we're going to take a small break while we play a promo from another podcast. Hey everyone, venture into the pop culture cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And now we're going to move on to our actual topic for this episode, uh, which I'm calling Apocalyptic Teenage Dreams. And what I mean by that is that there have been a lot of movies in the last, oh, I don't know, four years, maybe five years, that are based on books that are all about the end of the world and how uh, various teenage characters are uh, coping with it. Now, these books are all things that I completely missed when they first came out. I don't think it was in the right age group for it. And I had no idea uh, that this was e this genre even existed until Beth and I, on a very rare occasion that we had to go out and have a date night, went to see The Hunger Games because it was the only thing that sounded even remotely interesting at the movie theater at that point in time. And I was completely blown away by it. I mean, I could tell that it was basically a riff on Battle Royale, but, you know, it was, you know, a very interesting, different take on the same kind of nugget of an idea. And, you know, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, obviously, did a really, you know, fantastic job with it, and that's kind of the movie that put her on the map. And, you know, it, it's a movie that actually got me to go and read the books 
because of how strong it was. And since then, this this genre has really just taken off in Hollywood, and I've been surprised by it how many stories there are that, uh, you know, are already out there that have, uh, you know, have existed uh, with this. So I just wanted to kind of open it up and just uh, ask people, you know, how familiar with these are you? I mean, you can list any of them. You know, have you read any of the books? You know, and, and when were you introduced to the genre? Um, so I've read The Hunger Games. I read the first book in the Divergent trilogy. I've read, I, I've seen the film versions of several. Uh, I read The Giver, but I read that way back in, um, I, I think it was like the mid-90s. It came out in 93, but I ended up reading it in middle school. Was very unhappy with the film version of that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, yeah. And, and I've read like a lot of other like apocalyptic, apocalyptic fiction that hasn't been uh, adapted into films yet. So, I don't know. In terms of introduction to it, I don't know that it was that it was teen apocalypse that was that I specifically was introduced to. I there's been like a huge proliferation of post-apocalypse fiction. I would say ever since 9/11. But so it definitely in like in sci-fi fantasy as a whole, not just teen fiction, it's been a big trend. As far as for uh, young adult novels, I think Hunger Games really, really set it off. And then people, you know, of course, you have like not necessarily. I don't want to say imitators because there are definitely people that were already writing this fiction, but publishers go nuts for it, and then they start picking up everything they possibly can that looks even remotely like it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, eventually you do get the imitators, but it's just kind of gone nuts. Some are much better than others. Um, I think <laughs> The Hunger Games is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Though the author, like, so the, the author has been, like, you know, a lot of people, of course, mentioned the similarities to Battle Royale. And she said she's, she hadn't read it when uh, she came up with the idea, which I can kind of, I can kind of see. Like, she said she based it off of the idea of, like, the Roman Colosseum and gladiators in general. So, like, there, there are enough differences that I can be like, you know what, I, I can believe that. Because at first I was just like, oh, Battle Royale, huh? <laughs> Well, like, yeah, because a lot of the names were Roman anyway. Yeah. I'm just going to say, and it's funny that, you know, Rachel and I are talking about Battle Royale because we actually saw it at the same time. Do you remember at Otakon? Uh-huh. We watched at Battle Royale. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know that Suzanne Collins has said that she was unfamiliar with Battle Royale. I kind of find it hard to believe just because of how similar the stories are. I mean, yeah, the, the games themselves are not, beyond the fact that it's just kids killing each other, it's not, they're not not structured completely the same like in in battle royale there's no like televised coverage of it or anything at all this is this is a punishment for the students rather than a you know something that's uh, you know to keep the populace you know happy kind of thing so that part is different but a lot of the whole like you know the things with the you know how they team up and form cliques and you know the fact that it's the two who are in love with each other who survive at the end and all that kind of stuff it's very yeah but that's a te- that's a teen trope in de- general you know like that that's a thing that's going to end like I I can see arguments for and against it I. I honestly don't really know if she saw it or not. Like a part of me thinks like, you know, maybe when she came up with the idea, she hadn't heard of it. But like, generally speaking, when you start to like write, come up with a book idea and actually start writing it, like you're going to research to see if anyone else has done anything similar. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's a smart thing that most people will do. Um, so my thought is she probably started it off without having heard of it and then probably heard of it later. That being said, I am not omniscient and do not know, but 
I think I think the two stand enough on their own that I can like them both and not have you know not worry about who's stepping on whose toes or whatever. Oh, oh no, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I will say though that another thing that she's mentioned, which I totally see, is that she was going from like flicking between the Iraq War coverage and like reality TV and kind of like uh, merged yeah. the two together. Of you know that you know like war coverage is just another form of reality TV, and kind of that's how she kind of stepped into that headspace. So I, I can I can definitely see that. But anyway. So Nathan, what about you? When when were you introduced to this? Uh, same time you were with the Hunger Games uh, movie. A little mm-hmm. bit before the movie came out, my wife started reading the Hunger Games books. And she said, this is a really good book. You got to read it. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then we watched the movie and I was like, okay, I'll read the books. And I read all three books. And what I found interesting about it was that the pro- the, the protagonist is, the, the author kind of used the dystopian future to, you know, show uh, all the different stereotypes and, and, and cliques of uh, high school mm. with the teenage protagonists, you know, and used it, used the that dystopian future to explore it in a different way. But still, there's like, you know, the, ki- the kids who mine coal and there's the kids who make all the fancy stuff and there's the kids that fish and the kids who climb trees, you know, I just liked that's what I thought was interesting. And the same thing with Divergent. You know, you divide everyone up into five different groups. Mm-hmm. So. Well, yeah, one thing I will say about Divergent is it's the thing that everyone always points out to me when I say Divergent is so derivative. It's like, but the book was written first. So, you know. <laughs> the, but the movie was still derivative. Right. Well, yes, the movie was derivative. But that's because uh, everyone's jumping on the Hunger Games bandwagon. But I mean... I, I mean, to be fair, the book is derivative too. Like, <laughs> I didn't read, I didn't read the whole trilogy because I did not feel inclined to move on after the first one. But it's yeah. derivative. Like, you can't get around that. Yeah. Well, the the thing that I that always amuses me is you know how they have to like cut their hands and bleed into the right bowl to show like which path they chose and like the like the thing the the the, the honest trailer which is like man one guy like one kid with like hepatitis is gonna like wipe out like a whole generation. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the future. They've cured that. There's no more hepatitis. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All right, so Beth, what was your introduction to this? People are going to expect me to say that seeing Hunger Games with you was my introduction, but actually, a couple weeks ahead of time, I had noticed that there was chatter on Tumblr about this new thing called Hunger Games, and people were so excited to see the movie adaptation, and I was like, oh, this was a book. Okay. And then I saw a trailer, and I saw uh, Jennifer... Lawrence. Lawrence. Right. Wow, I stumbled there. I almost went with Alias. <laughs> I saw Jennifer Lawrence running through the woods, and I was like, wow, that's like where I grew up, right there. And so I, I was just kind of drawn to it. Uh, saw the movie, and was just amazingly impressed. Uh, we picked up the books, read them, and it's just been... I, I really enjoyed the Hunger Games series. Um, it's a lot of things that you question, like did it really happen the way the movie showed it, for example? Like, I know in book two, when um, there was the bombing of the district where they were visiting, and, the, and then they just destroyed the hospital that's the third book actually that was the third book shoot okay the third book we were starting to wonder was that actually the capital or was that district 13 doing it to motivate her to keep going so it's it's hard to say which way it went because it is a, a first person narrative right you're very limited by katniss point of view in the books and I did not necessarily like the omniscient viewpoint of the uh, movies in all in all the cases because I felt like some of the things that they showed they either 
they didn't happen the way that I thought they happened behind the scenes and that I thought made more sense. I, I thought that they didn't show Coin's true nature early enough. And the fact that they took out Cinna's team, which were all supposed to have been captured to help Katniss do the propose, I, I felt like that was problematic as well because they didn't, again, they didn't show how District 13 was like torturing them and doing horrible things to them ahead of time. They just had Effie for some reason there. And like, and Effie was just kind of like, I don't like these clothes you put me in. And that was like the worst they did to her. And then as soon as they just make an agreement, she's up and about and with everybody. And there's no, there, there were a lot of problems with it. Even though I felt like overall the movies were good. I had some issues since I did read the books after the first movie. And I had a bit, a little bit better understanding of the story. Yeah, but the movies on their own, if you haven't read the books, they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. They stand just fine on their own, and the, if you'd read the books instead, instead of watching the movies, the books are wonderful. So it's either or. Uh, there, there's I don't see any real reason that someone would, like fight over and say, "Oh, this version is awful. This this version is terrible." It's there. It just you can't. Okay, there's one thing I will say that I felt like was really, like, wrong with how they did it in the movie. Katniss, like, is cured from her horrible burns, like, within, like, a few days. Whereas in the book, it's like she's supposed to be horribly burned for the rest of her life. And I didn't like yeah, that. Yeah, and she was supposed to be deaf in one ear. Yeah, they, they they didn't show the personal toll to her, you know, anywhere near as well mm-hmm. as they should like have. Like, her hair was supposed to be, like, almost non-existent by the end of the movie. And in the, in the, even after the uh, the acid mist in the second book, she was supposed to have, have, like, chunks of her hair were eaten away by the acid, and she was supposed to be, like, all patchy looking. Yeah, right. but I, I feel like we're getting a little too granular into Hunger Games at the yeah. moment. But yeah, no, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Although, wouldn't you say The Giver is where you started with the genre? I guess, but I mean, I read that in like sixth grade, and <laughs> anything that happened before I was pregnant with, with our firstborn, just, I don't remember it very well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Beth has coined the phrase, pregnancy made her stupid. Yes, uh, really <laughs> did. <laughs> Like, took out, like, all of, like, everything she learned before that has just been erased. <laughs> like a hard drive. <laughs> right. So, anyway. Pregnancy uh, is an EMP. All right. So, so we started talking already about why we think this is happening. You know, Rachel mentioned it's kind of a post-9-11 thing. You know, obviously it was around before that because The Giver, as, as several people mentioned, uh, came from the 90s. But, you know, why? I mean, do we? And does anyone have any other ideas for where this is coming from? So, Nate, uh, Nate do you have anything uh, else? Yeah, I kind of thought that um, it, I feel like it's an escapism you know, to get away from, you know, what's really going on in the world. But then also there's sort of a reassurance that you get because you go through this post-apocalyptic dystopian future and you see that these people succeed and they against all odds and they use their wits to get through all their challenges. And I think that gives people it it really ties into how they feel about the world right now where things are kind of crazy, you know, Mm. Um, and they are looking for, you know, an answer of, well, what, what's going to happen if everything goes down, you know? So why do you think it's post uh, apocalyptic kind of storytelling rather than like fantasy or some other escapist genre that, you know, is, is, is really grabbing, you know, the young adult audience right now? I think it's because they're scared about the future. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I, I'd absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I, th- I think that I think they're tapping into that emotion very much so, and and that's the reason why one of the reasons why they've just exploded so much. 
Yeah, because, I mean, the thing that shocks me, you know, like, I, I've i always said that I, like, skipped Young Adult, you know, because I, I went from, like, Dick and Jane to, like, reading stuff like Tolkien and, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know things that are more, you know, book, you know, Asimov, you know, just, just various things like that, and... Because to me, like, you know, when I was a kid, it was like the next phase was supposed to be like, the, you know, the young adult books, at least in the 80s, were like Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, you know, and that stuff held zero appeal to me. Where, uh, you know, there's A Wrinkle in Time. Okay, that is a young adult book I read, and The Wrinkle in Time is awesome, if, if anyone's yeah. read that. Yeah. But most of the young adult stuff that was pitched to me seemed to be... I don't know, condescending, like people who are writing about kids who knew nothing about like what kids like really thought or, you know, were interested in. And uh, so I was like, I'll just skip to like, you know, adult literature because at least that's, you know, far more exciting. So it's fascinating to me. This explosion of this genre that is really, and you know, to, to me as a thirty-something-year-old, uh, that is interesting because of the kinds of scenarios. Because I usually don't like child protagonists either, because of how you know to have a child protagonist in you know a difficult situation. A lot of times they're they run circles around the adults. You know, they're way too smart, way too clever, etc. I feel like this genre, you know, a lot of times. Um, you know, gets it kind of right where they still need, you know, the, the, the child, the young adult may be front and center, but they need a lot of help or they become like Katniss. Great example with Katniss. Katniss herself doesn't actually change much of anything other than that she becomes a symbol which is a very realistic idea that media kind of like latches on to certain things. She becomes an image, the whole idea of her and PETA willing to, you know, kill each, you know, themselves rather than let the capital have a win. And that kind of ignites like uh, a movement. But Katniss herself doesn't actually like go in and, you know, her, her whole little mission in the third book doesn't actually really accomplish much of anything. It's not until the end and the aftermath of that, that like real change happens. So I, I like that. And so I, I'm just I'm just kind of curious, like, what have I missed? <laughs> <laughs> so, Beth, do you have any more thoughts on, like, what's causing this and, and, you know, where this is coming from? Because to me, like, the stark change from, like, when I was really little and the kinds of books that they offered to, you know, quote-unquote young adults and, like, what we have now is, like, huge. Well, I kind of wonder if, like, the current authors for young adults saw what they had as young adults and were like, well, that was crap. I can prove this. But, but, like, what Nate said, um, that's with with the the teenagers seeing how, how the world is, like, going completely nuts mm-hmm. they they have the, they may have these fears like what's going to happen in the future how would i cope and then they see an example of of these characters in these in these novels and they could say okay here's how this person is coping and overcoming these obstacles could i do the same um how would i react to the situation and is it the right thing to do mm-hmm. so just having these thoughts in their minds i mean if, if something like that god forbid does happen they could have an example to draw from and perhaps overcome that obstacle Well, you know, uh, one of the things that I think the movie severely downplayed was Katniss's PTSD in The Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. She was traumatized by a lot of what happened, yeah. and even though they talked about her having to take you know medications and stuff in the movies, like other than her like hiding in that little hole, uh, I think it was at the, the end of the third movie. It did maybe like two 
two times, maybe mm-hmm. three in the movie. Where it, it, like half the book, it seems like she's rocking in a corner. Mm-hmm. Well, it, also in the second movie, wasn't she like taking pills? Yeah, it could be. It's it's been a while I since I, I saw the second movie, but uh, but anyway, I mean, so, so yeah, I mean uh, that makes sense though. The whole idea of you know the world's kind of crazy. There's a lot of really horrible things on the news right now. Mm-hmm. You know, starting with nine eleven to today. Uh, now, I, I, just to put it out there, as far as I'm aware, the ones that I've seen, Hunger Games, the Divergent series up to this point, The Giver, Maze Runner, The Host. Oh, God. <laughs> Which, even though I know it came from the Twilight author, I was like, well, I'll give this a try. And, At yeah. least the previews looked good, but everything that was good was in the previews. <laughs> right. We actually pulled out our MST3K figurines and were riffing the movie about 10 minutes right. in. <laughs> that was the best night ever. Was riffing that movie and tearing it, was, it to shreds. It was painful. So it was a good movie. Uh, what the host? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was a good movie. Oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. It still provided. It still provided. It still provided enjoyment. And also, was it the, 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 the fifth, wave. fifth wave? I was trying to think of the number this whole time. I couldn't remember the number. I never read the fifth wave, <laughs> but I liked the movie. Right up until the last, like, 30 minutes, where I felt like the writers were like, oh, crap, okay, what do we got to do? And then they had the guy, the alien guy, running around, you know, I set up a whole bunch of bombs to take this whole bitch <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Bye. And you're, oh, like, what? The what? One guy do that? <laughs> so, so I'm just curious. All right, so I know Beth has seen the same things I have. Nate, you, have you seen everything that I just mentioned? Yeah, I've seen uh, The Hunger Games, um, the first two Divergence, and The Maze Runner. I haven't seen... Has the second one come out uh, yet? The second Maze Runner, yes. Okay, I missed okay. that one. And The Fifth Wave. Okay. Now, uh, I will say, I think the second Maze Runner is way better than the first one. I, I was iffy on watching the second one. Because I didn't like the first one at all, but we watched it, and I was like, wow, that was, like, way better. (laughs) The thing is, no one told us it was half a zombie flick. Well, yeah, (laughs) well... That was a little unexpected. All right, um, so, uh, Rachel, have you seen all the things that I mentioned? Um, Not all of them. I've seen The Hunger Games. I uh, saw The Giver, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, Let's see, I... I think I saw the Divergent movie, and then I wikied the fifth wave <laughs> and face uh, running. <laughs> so you think you Cheater. saw Divergent? Yeah. That bad, huh? I, I, you know, I think I might have seen part of it and then just been, like, really annoyed and was just like, am I going to spend another hour and a half of my life watching this movie, or am I going to do something better with it? <laughs> I, I will say this about Divergent. I... I, I was kind of blah on the first Divergent movie. I feel like the second one was way better uh, than the first on that as well, where I, I, the, I was watching the first Divergent, and I was like, it's, it's again, like the Honest trailer, where it's like, are you sure we haven't seen this? This is the Hunger Games, you know? And it's <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right, the whole idea of, you know, the society at war with itself, and it's all, you know, played out through their kids, and, you know, everything else, and it's just like, other than the fact that they're not killing each other, you know, which is the best part of the Hunger on Games. Purpose. But, uh, mostly. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like a game. <laughs> but yeah, then then once they get to Insurgent, it's actually a better, you know, like the setup. They've gotten past that setup, and it's actually a more unique storyline that they go through. But that's that's my two cents on that. So I'm just curious. So does everyone agree that Hunger Games is probably the best of those? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any <laughs> doubt there. <laughs> a winner is you. 
<laughs> right, and, and I think it's telling that all of these movies came out after The Hunger Games. I mean, that's definitely what's driving Hollywood's, you know, uh, uh, push to adapt more of these. Oh, yeah, for sure. None of these other movies would have been made without Absolutely. the success of the first two. Hunger right. Games. So I'm curious now, because Rachel and Beth, you've both mentioned, Nate, have you, did you read The Giver? Uh, yeah, I read The Giver when I was, uh, when okay, I was in school. So you, and I, the and three I watched of you it. have all read The Giver, and you're all talking about, uh, you know, the difference, you know, the movie and the, the book and whatnot. So Rachel especially has been passionate about that. So, so how, <laughs> how did the movie so let down the book of The Giver? It was just, so my, my biggest complaint was shoehorning the love interest in there. Like, you know, like it, they had to have it like conform to like the pattern that has been established for YA movies mm-hmm. and whatnot is that, you know, there has to have, be a love story. And in the book, well, first of all, they aged him up in the book. Like, I think he was like 12 years old, the main oh, okay. character. Yeah, I remember that part um, at least. <laughs> and and they, they added in these two friends, which as far as I remember did not exist in the book, which like, okay, fine. You want to like open it up a little bit i don't whatever but uh, like putting putting all that aside that really annoyed me but putting all that aside to me what i really hated was just that like the emotional impact was just so like deadened like you know like and, and especially like in the book it's this 12 year old boy who's like receiving memories of people dying in war and like dying horrible deaths and it's like it's traumatic for mm. him it's awful and and when he the part where he learns what death is and when he figures out that the his father who's not his biological father but who he thinks of as his, his father just like killed a a baby because you know like well quote unquote release Mm -hmm. like he learns that releasing is death like there it's just this huge emotional impact and it's this slow build that like leads him to like take off and go for it and in the movie everything is just so rushed and it's just like oh well this is awful everything's terrible whoa feelings i have them (laughs) i have to go and and every, everything was just so heavy handed and, and it's a shame because they it, like Jeff Bridges and Meryl mm-hmm. Streep were in it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, sorry, you did not lend any legitimacy to this movie at all. <laughs> um, in particular, I kind of thought Jeff Bridges was just like, I'm the old man who speaks so roughly and I have wisdom and blah, blah, blah. And, there's just there's no context for why he suddenly decides that like Jonas you have to live now it's like well well, it it was just it was not well done at all it made me so mad because it's a really good book I really liked it (laughs) yeah I have to say having watched it and never read the book that you know when Beth was telling me this was this great book and we had to see the movie uh and everything that I was kind of really underwhelmed by the movie and i think it's because of those changes because yeah like you i felt like kind of the whole thing the uh the original giver the the jeff bridges character i i didn't feel like he was you know i felt like his whole storyline and his motivations to do everything like seemed to like come out of left field it was like he just kept like Mm -hmm. you know it's like why are you doing it this way and you know why are you pushing this and that and it's i don't know it just i didn't make a lot of and i didn't realize that the that the girlfriend was an add-on yep (laughs) Of course, because it's about young adults, so they need to be in love. Mm -hmm. I think what was so disappointing is when the movie was coming out, I remember reading an interview with Jeff Bridges and him saying how excited he was that this movie was finally being made. And he read the book and uh, actually did a treatment of of a script Mm -hmm. and was trying to get it made for a real long time and was really happy to be a part of this. So I had like really high expectations uh, just because Jeff Bridges uh, had said, 
put his pretty much put his stamp of approval on. And I wonder if maybe some of these things, I mean, yeah, they added in the girlfriend, but I wonder if if some of the pacing of the movie was just because of editing to get it down to, you know, 110 minutes or something. Well, yeah, and that's the problem. And that's where we come now to, you know, ever since what was Harry Potter, the first one, ever since Harry Potter split a book into mm-hmm. two movies, it's like everyone's... Oh, now it's the norm. Yeah, now it's the norm. The last book's got to be split into two movies. And not every story needs to be split into two movies and sometimes a story needs to be put split into two movies to to be a good movie i mean um so maybe the giver should have been one that's two absolutely or at least one or at least go longer than the traditional you know two hour you know uh, uh time slot to tell the entire story yeah if titanic can do it yeah. the giver can do it <laughs> well and that's the other thing because sometimes mm-hmm. when you talk about splitting into two movies the problem there is pacing because suddenly you're trying to create a ending for a movie in the middle of the story which pacing wise doesn't mm-hmm. work so, right. so making one super long movie, but then people are like, well, but then we can only have like, you know, four showings a day at the movie theater instead of six or eight or whatever, you know, and we, we lose money on revenue because the tickets are the same. But, you know, I mean, yeah, like you said, Titanic, yeah. super popular movie was very long, you know. But. Yeah, and when I think of people like saying, oh, we can't do long movies. That's awful. I think back to like the days of like Gone in the Gone from the Wow, Gone with the Wind and the Sound of Music, where they had like intermissions in the middle of the movie where you're sitting in the theater, you get through the, half, the, the first half of the movie, get off from their seats, stretch their legs, mm-hmm. um, talk to people around them. They could have refreshments and a bathroom break. And I really think they should go back to doing that because if they're so worried about not selling enough tickets, they could sell more popcorn with an intermission break and that could yeah. make up for it. Yeah, no, I know. It, it is definitely profit-driven that they don't want to do long movies, but I think it's short-sighted, especially because some stories do, you know, do warrant the longer uh, time frame. But unless you're like a Spielberg or a James Cameron, a lot of people don't want to give you that risk because if it's a flop, that's a really expensive mm-hmm. flop too. Yeah. Well, I think I think too though. Like, I mean, the giver the giver could have used a longer runtime, but I don't think that alone would have fixed the problems. I think the problem was it. So, like, the book is a very like sur- you know like it's very psychologically driven. It's it's and so. You know, it's it's focuses on Jonas learning all these things, and it's very emotional and psychological, and and all that stuff. So I think they were really worried about kind of getting through that pl- or that part, and then like making it like you know fast paced action <laughs> at the end, like oh he's got this crazy getaway, and like I I think they were too concerned with like making it exciting and and fitting in with what they perceived to be the the formula for YA. Whereas if they had folk just focused more on what the meat of the story was which was him re- you know learning these memories and learning these awful things then and and i mean really the the escape at the end in the book was kind of minimal like and then they leave it off on a on a bit of a cliffhanger where they leave it ambiguous as to whether or not you know he make really makes it to safety but like you know that that escape sequence was not the focus of the book the focus of the book was this in- insane emotional journey that he has to go on and right. they flipped that yeah and i can and feel like there's no, I was going to say, I just feel like there was some studio suit saying, okay, but where are the flying cars? Right. Where are the explosions? Hey, right. Does he have a jet pack or a laser gun? Right. What? I mean, you know, give me something to CGI right. here. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, no, this is actually a cerebral movie. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's definitely true. All of these movies have the love story, and sometimes they get a little weird, like Divergent. 
where you know you got the character who looks like she's 16 and the guy who looks like he's 35 and you know it's just like okay you know and then his mom is like the same age as he is which is like what's what's that all about well that well that's because they're assigned to families (sighs) like it's it's not their biological um parents they're just kind of like they artificially create family units. No, so yeah, it's, it's creepy. No, no, in Divergent, and... we're not talking about Giver. That's Divergent. Oh. We're talking about oh, sorry. yeah, the sorry. Um, in Divergent Four, who is the uh, you know the love interest? Like they in the movies, his mother, like the actress, looks like the same age as the guy playing Four, and it's oh like kind of weird. It's like she's your mom, but she looks like she's. The uh, same. That's what kills me mm-hmm. about the casting of all these movies is that I mean it, it's the casting of like teen characters in general, but they cast people who look like they're 27, 28 years old. Right. Like in no world would these people look like teenagers i think they did a good job in divergent with tris looking young but then yeah but then four is like 35 and so i'm like this is like really like it's kind of weird she looks like she's 16 and he looks like he's 35 it's like it was uncomfortable (laughs) but yeah i mean they have to they have to have those love story kind of you know things going in there but uh, another thing that I've seen as an interesting theme, and again, I'm not reading a lot of young adult kind of stuff, and so I don't know if this is just a movement in general, but there's a lot of female protagonists in these stories. That's and, what there should be. And yeah, and so, and so what I'm saying is, is, you know, is this like kind of like the wave of storytelling now? Is it balanced? Like, because, you know, other than The Giver and The Maze Runner, those have male protagonists, but all these other ones we're talking about, it's female protagonists or is this more just this apocalyptic fiction wave is that more specific to that no i don't don't think so like so as someone who who has read a fair amount of Mm -hmm. ya um i I was reading it for a while there just because um like i got into a point where i kind of felt like adult fantasy and and sci-fi just like took itself way too seriously and gotten had gotten kind of stale mm-hmm. so i was just like oh I'll, I'll read these it's something fresh and for a while there it was but i've kind of like i feel like lately everything's kind of gotten like really samey and uh formulaic but i i feel like in general like i think ya is a genre what well, i don't think you can really call it a genre it's just more like a, a market mm-hmm. demographic but I feel like the publishing industry has recognized that this is um, a marketing segment that primarily girls, you know, were reading. Like, in in general, I think the statistics say that girls read more than men Mm -hmm. in general. And so I think they were like, you know, this is a huge demographic that is, you know, uh, reading all these books, so we should try to cater to them. So I, I think that's the big push is that there are just so many young girls reading and I think, you know, uh, I think, Beth, you touched on, um, you know, authors who like previously were like, oh, well, you know, I had crap growing up. Now I want to write good stuff for people that age. Uh, so I think it's like a mix of that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, because I mean, that is one of the things that has interested me in this genre is that it does seem to be a lot more diverse, because usually action stories are very male oriented. And here we're having a lot of action stories with teens, but that are female oriented. And so I, I found that. <laughs> to be one of the interesting you know latching on points for uh these kinds of you know for for me movies because other than the hunger games i haven't read any of them but i just like that they're doing something different and giving a different perspective on things uh despite the fact that then a lot of them are kind of going in the same direction (laughs) once they do that different you know premise nate uh, i know you saw the fifth wave also and you were talking about kind of like the limitations with that story 
and uh, and I wanted to get kind of more into the specifics of some of these. We already talked about the Giver Hunger Games and such. So, did you feel like the twist was like hugely like telegraphed in that uh, story in that movie? Oh yeah, yeah. I think they they ruined <laughs> it. I think it was. It was so it was so Ender's Game in its nature. I was just like, oh, they're because it just didn't make right. sense. It just didn't make sense. There's all these adults here, and I'm like, one that the colonel or whoever was in charge, what that telling all these kids they're going to be the next generation of soldiers. Mm-hmm. They're training them in like four weeks or whatever, and and I'm like, that one guy is worth more than a platoon of children. Right. You know, and there's just no way 12 kids is going to go out into a, an abandoned city, hunt down rebel humans in their little hidey holes and, and be effective. It just doesn't make sense, you know? So I just couldn't buy it from the beginning. And then I was like, Oh, it's all they're Yeah. They're, they're going to kill the, the army is actually the aliens. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I pretty much (laughs) from the moment they executed all the parents, I was like, oh, exactly. they're the fifth way. You know, like, yeah. you know, that's... <laughs> Spoilers for anyone who hasn't yeah. seen these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and of course it didn't help that they made it like, uh, what was his name, Liv Schreiber, who played Sabretooth in uh, the Wolverine movie. Yeah. It's like, yeah, because he, he, he plays, like, yeah. trustworthy really well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's like seeing Sean Bean in a movie and say, "Oh, he's gonna die." (laughs) Yeah, are you? Are we sure that this isn't the bad guy? You know, I mean, it's. it's, Yeah, it didn't really work. But I did like the twist when she met up with that guy who was a hunter. Yeah, I I did not know until I saw him jumping through the trees, Mm -hmm. like that he was an alien. I was like, "Oh, he's an alien." And my wife was like, uh, "What?" And I was like, "He just jumped like twenty feet right. through the trees. He's got to be. An, he's got to be one of those hunter guys." Yeah, yeah, I got that. And of yeah. course, then there's the whole love triangle thing, which you know, what you have to do in a way. But uh, what I liked about the fifth, what I will say, I really liked about the fifth wave is the ending because it's like there's no way they could stop what was happening. And so I kind of like the fact that to like the happy ending for them was that they were able to save just themselves and their friends. But by and large, the oh, alien right. invasion is proceeding and there's nothing they can do about it. And so it was kind of like it was downbeat on one hand, but on the other hand, it was kind of like, you know, for them, victory was just we get to live another day. And, you know, I saved my I, I got my or, little, I got brother. My little yeah. brother and, you know, my boyfriend's here and my other boyfriend is probably alive somewhere. And, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, this, ra- this ragtag, ba- ragtag band of kids isn't exactly going to upload a virus to the mothership. <laughs> They don't have that kind of ability to overthrow what's right. going on right now, so they're doing the best that they can at that moment, and that's their happiness, and they, they were able to, you know, right. take and, a break. And, and that's the thing, it's so dark, and and that's mm-hmm. what I really like about these. I'm like, like kids these days are like so spoiled that they get this kind of stuff. Because like I say, when I was a kid, it was mm-hmm. like Hardy Boys, like outwitting like pirates and crap. And you know, it was like, this is, this is stupid, you know? <laughs> it's like... And nowadays, kids get these really awesome stories that, you know, try to, you know, are, are far more, you know, kind of dark and, you know, deep, deal with deeper issues. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why I kind of really love this genre. And it's why I wanted to talk about it. Rachel, uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I think I've seen you, like, pipe up a few times and, and we've kind of, like, uh, you know, talked, uh, you know, around you or whatever. Is there anything? Oh, okay. no, no. I was I was just laughing along oh, with okay. you. Oh, <laughs> okay. 
Now, has anyone seen the Maze Runner except for Bath and I? Yes, I've seen the okay. Maze Runner. I, oh, that's I right. Not. You saw the. But I'm okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Nate, you, you saw the first one, not the second one, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Maze Runner, I felt, was like it tried to be like Lord of the Flies, but with a maze. Yeah. <laughs> and right. it just felt really I don't know I don't even know it, how it didn't really work there was a lot of logical flaws and for someone like me to see that there's a real problem yeah <laughs> I, I've almost like purged my memory of that first movie because it was just I don't know I felt it difficult I mean Nate what did you feel about it well what I liked about the movie was the the idea of these kids just waking up and just trying to figure out what they got to do to survive and and they go run in the maze every day because they think that's what they're supposed to do and then the new kid shows up and is like no actually this is what we're supposed to do mm. I, I did like the beginning of the movie it was when they started explaining like why these kids are in the maze you know it they should have just left more questions and then answered any of them uh I think answering questions, just did, then it was like, wait, what? I feel like the worst problem of the Maze Runner, like the thing that like really ruined the movie, is that they so obviously had enough material available to build a scaling ladder over the wall of the maze. Yeah. If they had <laughs> devoted themselves to doing that, because, you know, they, they had all their little, like, huts and stuff they had already built, mm-hmm. you know, so they had tools to, like, cut, you know, trees and stuff and, like, mm-hmm. build. And even then, even without that, there were vines growing up the sides of the maze walls all the way to the top. Yeah, just they, make a little bridge. <laughs> right, that they like might have been able long, to climb done. even the vines. Yeah. And this idea that they had to run through the maze to try to find a way out when they could have just stood on the walls to look like, you know, like, hey, what's out there you know oh look it's moving (laughs) (laughs) right and just oh i don't know like to me it was like that was that seemed like such a basic flaw that i don't know how anyone uh because i don't know how it's described in the book you know in the book it might not seem like it's that easy to do that they might have like fixed that in the book but like anyone watching the movie wouldn't have been like to the director um you need to like get rid of all these vines (laughs) yeah you know, and we need to put in some dialogue about why they can't build like a you know a ladder to scale over the wall or something. Yeah, all they had to do is like have the the new guy, the protagonist, show up and say, "Hey, why don't we just build a big ladder?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, if we do that, the monsters come and knock it down, right, and kill everyone." Right. Oh, right. okay. Well, we won't do that. <laughs> yeah, we, we tried that already, and it didn't work. And that would have been fine, but you know, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> But I will say for the second one, like, the second one went a long way towards redeeming that storyline. And there are some twists with the character development that I really, really, again, taking a turn that you normally don't see in a traditional action movie as far as, like, you know, uh, I don't want to give away too much because it is such a nice twist at the end there. But, you know, it's, it's not your typical formula of how an action movie proceeds. And I was quite happy with that. Because, again, what I want when I watch something is to be surprised. I've seen so many movies that it's like a lot of times I can tell you within, like, you know, the first, like, half an hour, like, how the whole rest of the movie is going to play out. And mm-hmm. I hate that. <laughs> and people are like, well, you need to just, like, turn your mind off while you're watching movies. I can't. Yep. <laughs> you know? Not, let me find the switch. <laughs> So, so so I like it when a movie surprises me. To me that is the the my the best enjoyment I ever get out of anything is when I am surprised by a development. Now, did anyone else see the host? Yes, I've seen the host. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Rachel is silent. <laughs> Counts yourself <laughs> lucky. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, all the things that we talked about that are, like, tacked on to these other movies, that's the whole point of the host. <laughs> it is the love triangle. And it's the most awkward love triangle on the face of the planet. Uh, right, because she's possessed by an alien, and she's in love with a boy, and the alien's in love with a different boy. Right. <laughs> So they're both in the same body. (laughs) I think that's a great way to handle a love triangle. Then you know the girl going, oh, I like him because he's tall. Oh, I like him because he's strong. You know, it's like, no, alien, I like this one. Girl, I like this one. Well, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, the basis for it, it makes, it's better probably of an idea than just the girl who vacillates between the two boys. But still, (laughs) the whole, the dialogue and everything about it, just, it was just kind of painful to watch. Um, The one saving grace, oh God, about that love triangle (laughs) is that at at reached a certain point where one of the guys was like, hey, this is not cool to me because... It's like I'm kissing someone else, and that's driving me insane. We, we, right. This isn't working. Right. Yeah. And, and and at least they were able to resolve it in a way that worked. You know, where the alien, they got the alien out of her and was the able to possess... anemone. Was able to possess someone who was like a coma person who was like, you know, brain dead, basically. And so, you know, that kind of fixes the whole issue. It's but, still weird. And it's still weird. <laughs> but... It's at least it's better, but yeah, I mean, it was the the whole point of the story was the love triangle. It, there wasn't any like anything beyond that. It was yeah. And hilariously, right before she gets possessed, oh, I meet a boy. I have to love you because there's no one within a twenty mile radius. <laughs> I don't want to die a virgin. Well, that that's what our hormones do, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's how we work, women. Like, it, wow, is that not how stupid. we work? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, I do like, I did like the the eye color changing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I don't know. I thought that was like a real, and then everything alien was silver. Yeah. Because yeah. it's from the future in space. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it was interesting. I, I wish they had developed more the idea of the alien, like once the aliens took over, like the earth became peaceful and like they were like kind to each other and like they go to the supermarket, they don't have to buy anything. They just take what they need. You know, they keep the store stocked, and people just come and take what they need, and they never take more than they need or whatever, and it was kind of like, you know, that sort of dichotomy of, you know, the human race is kind of, like, mismanaged things, and these aliens are actually coming and possessing people, you know, and it's it's almost for, you know, you can take the point of view of, and they did, of, this is for your own good, and uh, I wish that theme had been developed more, but instead it was, you know, the love story is paramount, and, like, kind of that you know, morality of what's going on is kind of a secondary, you know, thing that's not, you know, it's more about how can this girl reconnect with her boyfriend when she's possessed by an alien that's in love with somebody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, I've been talking a lot about what I really enjoy about this, but let's, you know, everybody, you know, what do you like about the, you know, apocalyptic, you know, YA stuff, and what don't you like? So, Nate, why don't you start us off for that one? What I what I like about young adult novels, and also the movies, mm-hmm. is that they're very easy to consume. 
that I don't have to work really hard to read it or like, you know, if I'm, I was, I've started reading uh, seven eaves and it's a sci-fi book uh, about the moon blowing up. It's the first thing that happens in the first sentence. Oh One day we woke up and the moon blew up into seven pieces. Um, <laughs> Sounds like maybe a thunder of the barbarian. <laughs> and they just move forward from there. I mean, they speculate <laughs> what caused it to blow up, but it never happens. Anyways. And that's a very cerebral book. It's very sciencey. It's very hard sci-fi, but I'm not tearing through it like these young adult novels. And the same thing with the movies where I could just sit back and just eat popcorn and just watch a young adult movie and kind of laugh at the silly things. Mm -hmm. But I don't have to like think too much. It's, It's a very easy way. It's like brain candy. It's just easy to consume. So yeah, that is the thing I like about it. And it's also the thing I don't like about it. You know, I want something, sometimes I want something a little bit more challenging than, you know, who's she going to pick at the end of the movie? <laughs> it is amazing though. sometimes how, when that's done well, though, you can get sucked into it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like watching the bachelorette. You, <laughs> right. oh, you know, you, I'm not you, sure that any like, of these are the best. Uh, right. I mean, I'm not sure any of these are the best cases of it, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely things where I've watched it. It's like, oh, I really care about the relationships. I want to know like how it you know, works out. But uh, anyway, um, so Rachel, what what do you like about the uh, the YA apocalypse stuff, and, and what don't you like? Well, so I think one of the big things, and and I kind of feel like Katniss kind of started this, but like, so the thing I really love about Katniss as a character is that she's not always the most likable person, yeah. and I kind of and and not like you know uh, Suzanne or whatever the hell heck her name is. Uh, <laughs> The, the author. Suzanne Collins. Oh, Suzanne Collins. There we yeah, go. yeah, there we go. I was just like, that sounds right, but at the same time, it doesn't. Anyway, so not like she's the first person to have done an unlikable, unlikable protagonist, or a, a not inherently likable protagonist, because let's face it, Katniss can be kind of a bitch sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel like with YA in general, before that, there's this like pressure for like the the female protagonists have to be like perfect, precious little snowflakes. And, um, the Mary Sue phenomenon. Yeah. And, and, right. and Katniss is like, she's like, whatever, I'm not sociable. Like, I'm a survivalist. I hunt and I don't care about you. All I care about is like taking care of my family or getting this done. Like, and so she's kind of taciturn and, and not the most congenial, likable person. And I think that is really important because I kind of feel like a lot of times in fiction, like female characters have to either be like, they have to be, they're not allowed to be screw ups or, or jerks or, or everything. Like it's kind of as good as some of those characters are. It's, it's kind of uh, not a lot of shades of gray with them. And so I kind of feel like she was just like, you know, a really great example of, Yes, I'm not the nicest person in the world. Yes, I'm going. To, I'm I'm very opportunist opportunistic, and I do what I have to do to get things done. And I thought that was really really cool. And maybe less so with some of the other characters, though. I, I kind of, I do feel like some of them have kind of carried that over a little bit. Uh, and yeah, I, I I think back like if I had been uh, had these books available to me when I was a teen, I think I really would have appreciated just the darker subject matter because and and again like when i when i was a teen like i read 1984 and i like after finishing the ending of that book i just kind of sat staring at the wall 
for like an hour afterwards because I was so devastated. <laughs> so yeah. like, you know, like I, I, I kind of have a thing for, for that kind of subject matter. So I feel like if I had had them, like I often think I'm like, oh, if I had had the Hunger Games when I was in high school, this would have been amazing. I would have loved it. Not that I don't love it now, but just not in the same way that I would have. Yeah, for me, so, like the book that was like so powerful as a kid was Ender's Game. And that was not even considered like YA, or at least I didn't see it that way. It was like in the like the regular novel section, you know. It was more considered right. an adult's well, book. I think, but I think YA, as we know, it has only existed for like what the last fifteen, twenty years. Like mm-hmm. before that, you had like middle grade like children's books, but there wasn't. I, I feel like like you said, like there was the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and junk like that. But as far as like this giant section that was like marketed specifically towards like teens and like you know nineteen to twenty year olds, like that wasn't as big of a thing so i feel like it's only been in recent years that that's really even blown up mm-hmm. um and and i know there there are plenty of people that have actually like looked at the history and chronicled that those things so i'm i'm not as knowledgeable as many other people <laughs> are but, but i know that i know that's definitely a thing mm-hmm. so yeah like i i think it's good that you know to bring this kind of subject matter to a teen audience and and i also think it because obviously, you know, these are all like really crazy out there themes, like, you know, like aliens and in- infecting you and y- people being locked into giant mazes. But the themes, <laughs> that, <laughs> the themes they bring up are still, you know, very real and things that are like very, um, I think, timely in-, in the past, like several years, you know, like the idea of like totalitarianism totalitarianism and you know like the degree of to which like okay well humanity kind of screws things up so should you know freedom be taken away from this like it it touches on really important themes that i think are really great to introduce to a teen audience and you know when you're in high school or whatever like you do have to read a lot of books that you know touch on those themes but i feel like I mean, as someone, I, I always grew up loving to read, so mm-hmm. I never had a problem with that. But I feel like there are other people that don't enjoy ha- having books shoved down their throats. Mm-hmm. Um, me, 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 me. Pick me. <laughs> <laughs> so when so when it's like, okay, well, this is something that I'm choosing to read on my own time. And, you know, then it's like le- it less like, you know, you're being lectured to. And this is something that that people can get into that was really long-winded but yeah <laughs> no 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 it's uh, you, you 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 answered the question completely which is fine <laughs> but uh yeah no i i uh, yeah i mean because even like divergent as as you know however you feel about the movie or the book or whatever the idea of even society splitting into factions uh, and stuff like that and where people become really you know ensconced and you know what's good for my group at the expense of everybody else i mean again it's a theme that you know we can see playing out in society today so yeah i, I completely understand yeah, you know agree with all that uh beth what do you like about the ya apocalyptic uh, kind of genre and what don't you like i really enjoy that um it's a mental exercise of how would i react in a situation a b c or d and then you can think about, is that really the right thing to do in the circumstance? How would I deal with the aftermath of that of that decision? And I also, I, I was really drawn to Katniss because, um, like I said, as I was as a kid, I, I kind of grew up in the woods around my house. It was like a big forest, <laughs> a ridiculous degree. Um, so I, I have a lot of survival knowledge because of that. And so Katniss herself appealed to me a great deal. And then reading the books, and I see more of like... the mental goings on of her motivations like one of the things that really struck me was when she thought about the idea of prim being in danger and she was like i can't let this happen to the one person that i know i love 
She wasn't thinking about her feelings for anyone else because it wasn't existent at that point to her knowledge. It was all about her sister. And I just thought that was really cool and it explained more like to the core of her essence was all about protecting her sister above all else. Her mom was just like, I have no respect for you, but I'm going to protect my sister. Mm. Right. And and what, what don't you like? The host. (laughs) (laughs) now what is that author's name no what is her name does anyone know stephanie meyer stephanie meyer yeah okay yeah (sighs) don't say her name (laughs) don't say her name or she might appear (laughs) but uh yeah her her books seem to very much fall into the just you know, YA romance, you know, cheap romance kind of stuff that just the yeah. sort of fantasy as a, as just a way to give it a flavor kind of thing. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I kind of touched on this, but I really enjoy, uh, well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll preface it with a quote from uh, Sidney Newman, who was the, the guy who sort of uh, gave the idea for Doctor Who, which was that he pitched it to a 12 to 14 audience because they were the most discerning audience, uh, you know, that you could have because, you know, kids don't take, you know, crap and they tell you if something's boring. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because it seems to me that the YA authors are going out of their way to do stuff that's fresh and original. Now, I say that, but I mean in the context of normal genre fiction. You know, because I realize that some of them are kind of following the same, you know, uh, formulas now that they've kind of started that way. But, you know, the the things of using, uh, you know, female protagonists, uh, some of the twists in these stories, which are, you know, not, uh, you know, common for the formula of, you know, this typical action story. Even the idea, I mean, again, I mean, Battle Royale did it in Japan, but... You know, even the idea of, like, kids, like, you know, fighting to the death is something that's, like, kind of abhorrent to, you know, our culture. More than kind of. <laughs> but it's, it was an interesting story to say how could society fracture to the point that this becomes an idea that people have, you know, to sort of keep order. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I think it does provide a fresh take that you don't get in a lot of other fiction. So for that reason, even though, like Nate said, you know, it's easy to digest, you know, it's kind of popcorny in a lot of ways. And there are some of the, you know, tropes like, uh, you know, the, the romance that has to be in every single one. But uh, that's pretty much true of fiction in general anymore. You know, it's like they always want to have, you know, like a romance of some kind uh, going on in a story. Not always, but usually. So even though it gets a little overblown in the YA stuff, it's it's still, you know, like every movie's got a romance story pretty much. So that's not too extreme. At least they didn't add that to Ender's Game. Well, that's true. That's true. Oh, God, don't even... But, yeah, that's a whole other podcast is, is Ender's Game, so I won't go up. there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, so, yeah, I, I just kind of... I, I, and I know that there's a lot of people, like, even when I was trying to find people to get on this podcast, who's like, oh, I don't watch any of those movies, you know? And I feel like there's sort of an ageistness to it. Well, it's marketed at young adults, so therefore I, as an adult, can't watch that because, you know, that's just going to be drivel. And I feel like people are kind of you know, doing a disservice to themselves because I think there is some good material there and some stuff that adults can appreciate as well. Well, I think too, 
I think ageism is a, a part of it, but I'm going to go there and I'm going to say that there's a sexist element as well because, you know, like as much as I hate Stephanie Meyer and whatever like that, there's a, a concurrent theme where it's like th- these are things that teenage girls like and therefore they're bad. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it just in ge- with a lot of the commentary in general, it's like, oh, there's a love triangle. Of course, we have to do that for the teenage girls. It's like, well, no, like why I did not invent the trope of having romance or love triangles <laughs> like, you know, like let's not knock young girls down for like wanting to fantasize about two guys wanting to go you know wanting them it's like there there's a a deep undercurrent of sexism involved that i feel that doesn't get aimed at you know things that are that primarily appeal towards boys so yeah i I think that's a big problem with people's uh opinion of ya literature and the movie adaptations in general general which you know sometimes sometimes they're bad movies it happens but it's not because they're marketed towards girls and and i think that's a big problem mm-hmm. yeah i mean frankly anyone who feels like uh, hunger games is a movie for girls or a book for girls is like i don't know where you get that from because even though the protagonist is female like you know there is nothing really that i would consider girly <laughs> about that story at all you know, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I can totally see where you're coming from on the sexism as well. I, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that's probably that probably is a part of it. But uh, does anyone have anything that they feel like uh, they wanted to say about uh, this genre or uh, that they didn't get to say? Don't watch the host. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I I would also I have a friend when I was uh, telling him I was like oh I need to prepare for for this podcast because I haven't seen all of these and I, and he's just like oh well which movies and I mentioned the Fifth Wave and he's like dear God don't see the Fifth Wave <laughs> see <laughs> I that bad I'd rent it rent it yeah oh yeah I I'm glad I didn't see it in the movie theater but. I don't feel it was that bad either. I felt it was well worth a watch, and I feel like, like I said, it set its expectations realistically, and I, and again, I, I like that, because, you know, in any other action flick, you know, the one hero, you know, ends up destroying an alien invasion single-handedly, or, you know, there's all this really outlandish crap, mm-hmm. and I like the fact that it was like, this is about this girl who's trying to save her brother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. she saves a few other people on the way, too. But that's basically, she accomplishes her goal. And she gives back his teddy bear. Right. Yes, that's right. She's got a teddy bear. <laughs> but, um, and, and I like that. I thought it was refreshing because I was like, you know, once you get towards the end, it's like, there's no way, there's not enough time left for them to, like, you know, save the world. And I'm like, oh. Because in the end, that's not the point, was to yeah. save the world. It's like, yeah, they, they can't. They don't have the resources to do that. It's It just is what it is. Like you said, that's a nice change, because I mean, most of these stores are. It, it's huge, like, you know, life-altering, world-ending consequences. But, you know, to take it down to that uh, more personal level and focus on that. Because, really, when you think about it, like, if you or me are are stuck in a situation like that like you know normal people are not going to be worried about we need to end the invasion or that you're just going to be concerned about taking care of the people you love like that's mm-hmm. that's what it's going to be oh so. yeah I, I just thought the four i just thought the first four waves are really interesting and <laughs> I, it's actually given me i'm uh, of the of the fifth wave you know i thought the four the first four were great Mm. It was the fifth one that <laughs> for me. If it's called it the fourth wave, it would have been an awesome movie. 
<laughs> yeah, I have to say, uh, Nate, just just kind of doing a riff on that. Uh, I don't know if you remember when Independence Day first came out. Um, it was you know everyone said ID four. You know, it was like the abbreviation for the movie. Yeah. And I used to joke about, well, you know, it's nowhere near as good as ID two. You know, just, just stuff like that. <laughs> I felt like they really missed a trick with this latest one that came out. With you know, they're calling it IDR, and I'm like, no, it should have been ID five. You know? <laughs> and it happened on July fifth. It should have happened. Right. <laughs> but oh well, you know, people don't listen to me for that kind of stuff. So I guess then we're going to wrap out. Thank you uh, all for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun. And Rachel and Nate, and Beth, of course, uh, although I don't need to say this necessarily as much to you, but really love to have you back on, uh, you know, talk about other stuff too, because it's always fun having you. Happy to be here. But with that, let's say our goodbyes. So, Nate, uh, why don't you say goodbye? And do you have anything you want to plug or uh, let people know where they can find you? Well, I want to say... that it was great being on today and I hope I get to come back again. And you can find me on uh, Twitter, Nate Bob Benton. I just post funny things and cool, geeky, interesting things that I think are interesting, but it should lighten your day up if you try to follow me there. And that's about it. I don't really have another presence besides Twitter and Facebook. <laughs> well, that's perfectly fine. And Rachel, why don't you say goodbye to uh, everyone and let them know uh, where they can find you or if you have anything that you want to promote. So thanks again for having me. Always happy to uh, let my opinions be known. (laughs) (laughs) It's always good to have your opinions on this podcast. (laughs) Nothing in particular I want to plug, but uh, if you want to find me, um, I guess mostly I'm on Tumblr. I think in the last episode, I actually gave my username wrong. Um, So it's... (laughs) It's blue sheep, but it's blu-sheep.tumblr.com uh, is where I, and and I'm only mainly post art and and things. So yeah, and things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, that's cool. So Beth, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you and uh, anything that you have to plug? All right, this is Beth signing off. You can find me on my Etsy store called Mrs. Whiskers Studios. And until I see you next time, be excellent to each other. (laughs) Party on, dudes! So that's an end to our most excellent podcast about apocalyptic teenage dreams. Uh, This is, of course, Nathan from the 42Cast. You can follow us on Twitter at at 42Cast. You can follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 42Cast. You can also find us online at 42Cast.com. And of course, we definitely want to hear from you. Uh, We want to know what you think we're doing right, what you think we're doing wrong, what kind of topics do you want to hear us cover next, what members of the cast have you really enjoyed, pretty much anything and everything that you might have to say about the show, we want to hear it. And so you can email us by emailing us at everything at 42cast.com, or of course you can leave us a comment on either Facebook or on our website. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that we had another sort of question that we wanted to pose to you. So this week, we're talking about five questions. Uh, We're really happy with the five question segment. It does lead to some fun discussions that kind of help to loosen us up ahead of time. But we have about 100 questions right now that the random number generator chooses from. And I'm starting to realize that that isn't anywhere near enough. 
the same questions uh, tend to pop up, especially when you're doing five questions an episode. It's not so bad on some podcasts because even if the same question pops up, it's a completely new cast, so they haven't answered those questions before. But when we have a few people who have been on the cast uh, quite a few times, uh, they end up answering the same question you know, two or three times, and that can be a problem. So what we want is to basically solicit you for as many possible questions as you can think. Send it to us any way you can think. Twitter, Facebook, the website, email, whatever. I don't really care. I'll check all of those, so it's not a problem. But uh, help us beef up the five questions uh, with some questions of your own. And the last thing that I want to talk about is please leave us reviews. Right now, we're primarily on Stitcher Radio and iTunes, and the more reviews that we get, the better we get promoted. So uh, if you like the podcast, if you want to keep promoting the podcast, please help us out by leaving a review and so that we can get the word out to more people. And of course, if you know anyone who would be interested in the podcast, please let them know. Primarily, we're going to grow by word of mouth. So the more that you tell people, the more that we'll grow and expand, and hopefully things will continue to just keep on going and going. So with that, we must bid you adieu. We have another great podcast coming up next week with some new cast members. So join us then when Bill Pullman will not be joining us. And until next time, this is Nathan signing off. You've been listening to the 42 cast, copyright 2017. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. Incidental music is provided with permission by Fur DK. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.